Welcome to Sisterhood Rising. We are your hosts, Cheyenne and Sav, and we welcome you into our circle where we share our real and raw experiences with all things womanhood. We believe healing happens when women gather, sharing and supporting each other through all of life's moments. Here, we will share everything from the mundane to the magical. So let's dive in, sister. Views with Chris. Nice. Virgo views. What up, <laughs> gang? gang. <laughs> we can come up with a better name. I just write no, something down. You can never change the name <laughs> after you put it on the recording because it's always a vibe. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Sisterhood Rising podcast. We are your hosts, Sab and Cheyenne, and today we have our resident. Virgo, the only Virgo that we really know, I think, <laughs> in for a little interview, a little Virgo views with Chris Arnold. Hey, everybody. <laughs> you guys need to get to know more people. That's probably <laughs> true. <laughs> um, if you and are this- Virgo and need more friends, please <laughs> get us up. Um, this interview also culminates post birthday. So hopefully we'll have some wise words of wisdom coming through here from our elder millennial. Happy birthday, Chris. Is he a millennial though? He's an 89 baby. So like we'll pretend because he hangs out with us. He might be a cusp by association. (laughs) Are we offending him? Probably. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) Get off my lawn. (laughs) (laughs) So how was the birthday? Do you feel older? Uh, Any profound insight and reflection? Not not really. Um, I mean, I golfed. uh, Then Mm -hmm. I went to dinner. um, Enjoyed the day. Right. Um, What are your insights on getting older, though? Like, do you see... Because, like, for me, a birthday is, like... It's traumatic. Like, it's, it's the new year. That's when my new year starts. Oh. Is at my birthday. But like, I don't even like celebrating birthdays anymore because mm. I feel the age. Like, do you feel the age or no? Do your I mean, bones and joints the... crinkle? <laughs> they did they that do. anyways. <laughs> <laughs> they did that when I was twenty-one. So yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think you you feel the age differently each year. Uh, I would say that as, you know, for this particular birthday, um, I guess I did a little bit of reflecting around sort of where we're at with life. Look at all these secrets in our marriage. (laughs) It's like we don't even know you, Chris. What do you mean you reflected without me? Why was I not invited? I wasn't reflecting on our marriage per se. No, I know that. My life. I know. I know. I just mean like, where was I? It isn't, but I'd like it to be. <laughs> no, I think you just kind of look at where you are, are uh, in your life and where you want to be and that kind of thing. Um, probably more as you get older, because um, not not that you necessarily feel strongly this way, but you start to feel like, you know, how, am I where I'm supposed to be? And, and as you get older, um, you, you kind of think, okay, well, I'm a year older. Did I really achieve much in the last year kind of thing? So... Um, you know, I, I can only assume that as I get closer and closer to, you know, 35, 40, 45, whatever, um, those questions just, you know, start to, to be deeper, right? So uh, I would say when you ask, like, am I starting to feel older? Like, I start to 
think those types of things, mm-hmm. which to me says I'm getting old. Right. Because, you know, when you're 25, you don't think, oh, where am I at in life? You think, like, where am I going to go and drink? Um, you did so not think that not, at well, 25. I didn't. <laughs> Please. I just, He's a Virgo. He is a respectable yeah, I was, Virgo. I was busy buying houses and things, but... <laughs> You know, it's just, it's sort of that mindset or that track of thought where you're like, am I where I'm supposed to be? And have I done what I'm supposed to do? Post Saturn return vibes. Yeah. (laughs) He doesn't know what that means. I don't know what that means. Listen to our astrology episode. Yeah. (laughs) Jeez, Chris. All right. We're just going to get into it. Hard hitting questions from me, of course. Um, how has your spirituality or your relationship with spirituality evolved as you've gotten older? Like, has it become more important, less, less important? I mean, you kind of answered this in your, in your previous statement. Like, did you hit your 30 year midlife crisis and just question everything? <laughs> everything? No, no, I'm, I'm saving my 30 year midlife crisis for 35. Um, oh, good. So expect good. like a boat Jeez, or something Louis. in a couple of years. Right. But, um, you know, in terms of spirituality specifically, like, I think I grew up in a pretty, um, progressive Christian home, if you would, I suppose mm-hmm. I would describe it as where, uh, my parents were both Christian, you know, one was Lutheran, one was United. Uh, we, we went to church on Sunday. We hung out with my grandparents after church every Sunday. Like it was a family sort of day. Um, and just kind of, as I, as I went through school and into university, I kind of dove into that a little bit further, um, you know, sort of developed a, a pretty strong understanding theologically of, of sort of the Bible and Christianity. Uh, but that led to sort of questions about, um, you know, how it all is meant to, to work um, and some questions that I couldn't really answer very well. And so I drifted away from Christianity per se um, right. and, and I think started to lean more towards um, sort of unaffiliated relationship with, with God or with Christ um, from a religious perspective and, and sort of more recently kind of opening up, I guess, opening up my mind or opening up some, some sort of um, awareness of, of sort of other pieces that <laughs> you guys are both laughing. This is your kind way of saying my wife sees dead people. <laughs> Welcome to the other side. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> my wife sees dead people. No, I just I think that there's there's more out there, right? There's more out there than what than what religion tells you, um, mm-hmm. and I think there's there's a lot of different ways you can start to understand those things, and and a lot of different depth that you can go to, and just starting to kind of recognize that those are true, right? That, that, that that exists. Um, not necessarily challenging, you know, previous faith affiliation, but just recognizing that there is other, other ways to be spiritual and other ways to understand what spirituality means than Mm. kind of what I grew up with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, do you find that as a male, identifying male, um, that you feel like a prejudice or disconnect to spirituality, like it's kind of more available or acceptable in connection to women. And this is like kind of um, disconnecting the spiritual per se from the religion, I would almost argue. Um, But that's me going on a tangent. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that's probably a fair assessment to make. Um, As a male, I haven't really seen a lot of 
male spiritual guide type of, of personalities, mm-hmm. uh, it tends to be female. So mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that there are male um, kind of role models in that space. Uh, mm-hmm. And you don't really see men doing, you know, tarot readings or things like that nearly as often right. as you do, you know, you walk, you know, pick any country fair or whatever you want to you know, any area where you might stumble across a booth that, that somebody's doing tarot card readings, mm-hmm. 99% of the time, that's, that's a woman. Um, yeah. You know, you don't ever see, mm-hmm. you know, and, and maybe that's a terrible example of, of something like it's that. It's true but, though. They're not really. No, I think you're right. Like that, the new age wave of spirituality tends to be more feminine based. I would, I would say. Yeah. And, and even the resources that you see online is, is predominantly female. Like if you go to YouTube or anything like that, and type in, you know, pick any like a guided meditation of some sort. It's it's almost always female. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's fair. True. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about spirituality specifically because I. So we're gonna we're gonna get deep here. Okay. Um, <laughs> like I, she doesn't get deep in every episode, right? Like, I know. The drama coming here. <laughs> I'm just prefacing the this week. Cheyenne's going to share her casserole recipe <laughs> as if I cook. Um, <laughs> it's not one of my skills. Literally had frozen pizza for dinner tonight. <laughs> Did you not cook it? You just I made it in the oven. I put it in. It was a little crunchy, even. Um, oh. <laughs> forgot to set the timer. Um. But okay, the reason I wanted to talk about spirituality, I think, is because I see, and we've all talked about this before, like an aspect of true masculine divinity in you. And like the best way that I can describe it is like, you know how they say there's a historical era or the places that you're interested in indicates a past life. And your interest is Arthurian England. And this archetype of a divine masculine is associated with the warrior, the compassionate warrior who's concerned with, you know, honor and integrity and compassion and justice and devotion and brotherhood. And all of those things can kind of be seen in Arthur's Knights of the Round Table, which is the vibe that you give off. And I think that's a really rare thing to have today with the twisted concept of masculinity that we experience most of the time. And, um, there's an author, Matthew Fox, and he calls it, uh, or he says the divine masculine archetype is the spiritual warrior, right? The feminine is the mother goddess and the, the masculine is the spiritual warrior who, unlike the soldier, is a lover. The warrior is so much in touch with his heart that he can give it to the world. And so there's just this like, there's this connection in you to a more wholesome masculinity that like I can see in you or that I feel in you. And so I, I don't know. I have a lot of interest in your journey with spirituality just because I think there's a lot of depth there that is still to be uncovered. Um, And you're such a leader in your community and in the things that you are a part of that it's just, it's just a really beautiful opportunity for you. So I'm, I'm, intrigued and interested in your journey with spirituality. Um, And I think in my world, at least, I do see men tending to their spirituality in a very like religious doctrinated context, 
just because I think it's safer for them, right? It's more structurally sound and you don't have to be vulnerable with your emotions to be more in the woo feminine side of it. Um, and so it's safer for men to explore religion than it is like spirituality. Um, I think that's probably true. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I would say that that's a pretty accurate assessment of, of my call it spiritual journey has been very based in religion for a lot of those structural reasons, but even, even in exploring that in any sort of depth, like the structure starts to fall apart. Mm-hmm. That's, and that's one of the reasons that I've drifted away from sort of religion as a concept and as a structure, because there's gaps, there's like, there isn't a sort of a, an unbreakable wall of knowledge or, or thought that, that can support that. Mm-hmm. So as you grow and as you start to question and as you start to learn different things and explore different parts of spirituality, um, you know, religion doesn't really do it anymore. So I, I would say that is that it's probably true for most men is is there is some structure and, and most, I would argue, don't bother exploring further than that. Or mm-hmm. if they do, they sort of double down on the, the faith-based arguments of, well, I don't have an answer, but I just go by faith. Right. Um, which doesn't really vibe with me at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> where where I where I need to know, I need to seek knowledge, I need to to understand logically and, and practically how things work. Tell us more about your Virgo personality. <laughs> <laughs> beep, beep. I thought I did. <laughs> um, and I just want to quickly make the clarification that when I'm talking about like masculine divine masculine and divine feminine energy like it's not a polarity like they are two halves of the whole you know they are the balance within spirituality that we all have to find the balance of like it's the yin and the yang the sun and the moon like it's it's a sliding scale that we all have to to balance within ourselves it's not just like gender stereotypical male religion male spirituality it's like the correspondences that go with that energy primarily. Um, but it's, it's a sliding scale. Like men have to access their feminine energy and women have to access their, their masculine. Like it's, I just want to clarify, like there it's a sliding scale. It's a two parts of the whole. Um, all right. As kind of a follow-up, you have three sons, which is a beautiful legacy and opportunity um, for you to share and continue that aspect of the divine masculine connection that you have. Um, And this is going to be a big question probably, (laughs) but like how do we as parents and as a society reconnect with and realign and raise up our sons connected to a more wholesome version of masculinity? I mean, good question. If, right? there, if there was an answer to that, then I think we, yeah. the world would have a lot less problems. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, as as a parent, I mean, you can only do your best and try and pass mm-hmm. on your best traits and, and minimize your worst, right? Um, so, you know, if you look at your, your glowing assessment of who I am <laughs> as a person, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll pay you later. Um, <laughs> you know, I think you know, being patient and compassionate and, and care about things is one of the, the traits that I think would really make a difference in, in that way. Um, not even from a spirituality perspective, but just as a person um, and, and hope that that spills into their, you know, I, I think that ties to or aligns with that masculine energy to say, you know, I, I care. And so I will, mm-hmm. I, I will put in the effort to, 
make this better, you know, make this person's experience better, make this situation that I'm in better. Um, you know, how, how does that, you know, how can I, as a person, you know, positively influence the space that I'm in? Um, you know, that, that's what I think I try to do most of the time as, mm-hmm. you know, just in any situation, you know, work or, or personal or professional, whatever. Um, generally speaking, I would, I would love to see my children, you know, do those things, you know, try to make what's around them better um, through, through passion or, or compassion rather, and, and caring and, um, you know, love kindness those those kinds of traits um Mm -hmm. and and to not i don't know and to not be kind of stifled in that where where they could they could easily be shut out of you know somebody else is is overpowering that that and saying no that's not right that's not okay um you know i'd like for them to to lead or stand up and and be sort of that courageous piece that's um no i think this is the right thing to do and i'm going to do this instead Mm-hmm. I think that's something I'd love to be able to teach my children and have them spread into the world. Right. There's um, a really great book that I read, um, just trying to like bridge the gaps in understanding my own connection to masculinity um, within my own spiritual journey. It's called The Hidden Spirituality of Men by Matthew Fox. That is this week's recommendation, everybody. (laughs) Go read it. It's a delicious book. So good. Um, You're not supposed to eat it. (laughs) I I would, honestly. So good. And um, he really talks about the need to, like, um, connect with vulnerability and remove the fear in connecting with vulnerability And uh, there's one quote that he says, men develop an armor and ability to move through this world that requires them to exhaust themselves in order to make money. And so they remove the ability to be vulnerable, to develop the capacity to live in this world. And I think that's so spot on because like even from a young age, boys are taught, you know, man up, don't cry. Like you, you're, penalized for being vulnerable or for crying, whereas girls don't have that same type of experience from a young age even. And when you're not able to access those emotions and be vulnerable with those emotions, it turns into like a hostility and an anger. And he kind of argues that there's this whole epidemic of anger that men face and just dealing with their anger and trying to do that in a healthy way. And it becomes a war with themselves, with their bodies. And then they become at war with each other, with countries, like you see it playing out on global scales. And so just like removing the shame in being able to access their own vulnerability. Yeah, I think for um, me, it's it's not necessarily um, anger so much mm-hmm. as as I think I've become over time or, or I've grown to be more or less emotionally indifferent mm. or, or um, like, I, it's not like I'm stifling the emotion and, and that that's creating anger or resentment within. I think it's more, I just try not to feel it, you know, right. and, that's, and, that, and that's that armor that he talks about right. so that you're able to just move through the world and do the things that you need to do and provide the things because that's what the world is demanding of you. And so it's like a, 
you know, turn off the switch to do the things. Right. <laughs> it's it's a compartmentalization almost mm -hmm. of, you know, I'll deal with that later and then just never bother to deal with it. Right. Yeah. Do you remember like a time in your life where like that, like you had that thought that you were like, oh, I'm, I'm like supposed to like separate these things? No, not really. It, I think it's more just the, the societal expectation and, and the development through school and through, you know, social interaction of that there's not really a time or space for you to feel bad about mm -hmm. something or feel down or feel sad or feel whatever. It's, you know, kind of keep going, you know, keep on trucking. Um, and, and maybe that's a personal experience of, of mm -hmm. sort of my upbringing or my sort of life you know path. But um, it's it wasn't necessarily a time or an experience that said, oh, yeah, no, I should should be feeling something here, but I'm not. It's mm -hmm. more just here I am today, you know, having developed over time that armor and, and sort of the compartment of feelings that you know it's in a cabinet over there in the corner that'll open eventually mm -hmm. the lack of a, a lack of awareness of of even having the lack of awareness <laughs> um one of the other things that they talk about in the book is uh the need for mentorship and like the way the disconnect that we have from the divine masculine has also become a disconnect from like the father and that can include even like the presence of the father physically in their children's lives. And if you think about like, you have the stoic grandfather who was in the Vietnam war and he just doesn't talk at all. And then <laughs> there's the, you know, modern day father who's just either not involved because he's not involved or like, because he's at work. And so there's just this need for wholesome mentors to even be available for men. Um, do you think that you had access to any type of of mentor that kind of opened you up to being vulnerable or kind of showed you that path? I don't think there was a, a male role model in my life that showed weakness or vulnerability um, or or any sort of negative emotion aside from potentially anger or disappointment. Um, that's not to say they, they didn't have those emotions. It was just never something that was displayed as this is an okay thing to feel. Right. Um, you know, I, I think I, I, I can recall seeing my father cry maybe two or three times in my life. Mm -hmm. um, not in a bad way. It's not like he was, you know, trying to hide it or right. anything. It's just, you know, similarly, that stoic type of personality or, or mm -hmm. approach to, you know, what, what good does emotion do? Because there's other right. things to be done. Right. right. So, um, you know, I, I think it's probably similar to many people's experience where, where there just isn't somebody showing any sort of vulnerability for you to mm -hmm. understand what showing vulnerability even means it looks like. I don't know. I just think like if I'm thinking about myself as a father and how, how do I show vulnerability to my children? I don't know how to do that. Right. I mean, I think, right. um, you know, Sav, Sav, you know, reminds me to hug my children. It's like, mm -hmm. Um, you know, just to, just to show some sort of a connection aside from correction or discipline or instruction, um, mm -hmm. you know, where, where I want to set, these are the expectations and here's where and how you are or are not meeting them, uh, as opposed to just simply saying like, I am here, I'm occupying space for you mm -hmm. as, as a child to experience life. However, you as a child experiences life, 
which mm-hmm. will be different than my experience. And so um, combating that sort of expectation of rigid structure and, and sort of are you or are you not meeting objectives versus, you know, you as a child just, just being. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I think mm-hmm. that's something that, that I often need to be reminded of. I mean, there was, right. there was a situation the other day where, um, you know, Theo was in, in the room and, and we were arguing about something where, where I was trying to correct his behavior and he, he, he got overwhelmed emotionally mm-hmm. and, and I didn't recognize that that was happening. I, I recognized that he wasn't meeting the expectations of the things that I had just said to him, mm-hmm. um, where he had no capacity to do so. Right. And it was like Saf had to yell from the other room that he's, you know, he's overwhelmed. He's not going to take in anything that you're trying to say. Like this isn't a moment of instruction. Right. This is a moment of like you need to to connect with him emotionally to recognize that, you know, there there's a there's an emotional response happening here where you know, practicality, logic, whatever it is you're trying to to impose at the moment is not going to to work. It's not going to land. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to kind of take a step back there and, and sort of reassess that situation and and recognize that that what that what I was trying to do wasn't wasn't the appropriate thing at that time. And so, mm-hmm. like it is, it is helpful to to be able to step back and recognize those things um, because I, I don't think that's something that that my that my dad would have been able to do. Like that wasn't something that um, that I think most men would be able right. to recognize or do. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really beautiful example of like how it's a sliding scale. And you, like Savannah, she possesses a very feminine, divine feminine type of energy. And, you know, historically, socially, et cetera, the divine feminine and just females in general have been so suppressed. And even that feminine aspect of men has been suppressed that like, there's kind of, if you follow any kind of like new age influencers, Mm -hmm. there's been like a wave of feminine um, embodiment that has kind of like reawoken. And as that's happened, we've kind of been like, this isn't just us it's also men who are experiencing this. Like Mm -hmm. we have to, as women and as men who are more in touch with that feminine side, kind of help each other and reestablish that balance so that it's not just a polarity and like just help each other learn. And that comes from not being at war with each other Mm -hmm. even and and being at war with those those qualities within ourselves. I think that's what I was going to mention is like, it's also like a society thing. Like, I feel Mm -hmm. like our generation is like where we really started to do that, where we take a step back, even if, even if you just use parenting as an example, like where we really step back and we like really assess situations before we just like react, 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 because we've always just reacted. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you react, it's just whatever your base programming is, like, that's what comes out, like, regardless of your intention, right? Um, so yeah, yeah. Um, all right, let's, let's switch lanes a little bit. Um, so you have, I'll, I'll go on to praise you some more. You can pay me later. Um, accomplished (laughs) a lot in your professional career, right? You've gone to university, you've got your master's in health science, sport management, um, gone on to work for a Canadian university. Did you Google him? (laughs) Did you check out my I, LinkedIn profile? I did your I did my research for this interview. Uh, <laughs> and uh, gone on to work for Canadian University in what might be, I don't know, your ideal position, ideal-ish. And 
Um, what advice would you give to our listeners who are looking to maybe take some of like similar steps as you in terms of a professional direction and following through with that professional direction? Sure. I mean, I, I, <laughs> um, I think the thing that I would say first, if somebody was to, you know, comment on, on my career trajectory, um, mm-hmm. usually the first thing I respond with was, is that I worked really hard for it. Right. Um, and, and I think if there was advice to give to somebody, uh, especially in a field that is very crowded in mm-hmm. sort of sport or professional sport or delivering sport programming, there's lots and lots of people that want to work in sport, um, and not very many jobs to do that in, um, take the opportunities that you get and, and do really well with them. Um, I think the reasons that I got to where I am are because I worked really hard in, in poor conditions and then took opportunities that popped up. Um, mm-hmm. I was willing to, to move from St. Catharines to Kingston for, for a position that um, was a lot of work. Uh, and then from there, I was willing to move from Kingston to Toronto, um, a place that I never thought that I would work and had always said I was never going to be willing to work there. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's where the opportunity was. So um, build strong connections with people. Uh, I think I think one of the only reasons that I got the job that I got was because of the really strong connection that I, you know, the really strong relationship that I built with the person who ultimately went from Kingston to Toronto before me in a position where she was able to hire people and Mm -hmm. she reached out to me. I mean, I was never looking at the opportunity in Toronto. Um, It was sort of handed to me as, Hey, you should check this out and maybe apply for it. And so I did, I took the opportunity. I, I sort of, jumped off the edge or whatever and, and said, yeah, why not? I don't think I'll get it, but let's, let's give it a shot. And so I went and I, I impressed some people with, with the interview and, and some of the experiences that I've had and was able to speak strongly to, to what the role required and, and ultimately got the job. So, mm-hmm. um, but I, you know, if you backtrack from there, I had to, to work, you know, 70, 80 hours a week for $500 a, sal- a week salary um, you know, back in St. Catharines for almost two years before I had an opportunity to, to get something better. So mm-hmm. um, I was really fortunate to to be able to go and, and do a master's and, and have that, um, you know, funded through through the grades that I got in my undergrad and, and stuff like that. And so not everybody has that opportunity, but you can also create opportunity if, you know, do whatever it is you're doing really, really well build really good relationships with people and, and opportunities will come. Like there are jobs mm-hmm. out there to, to get and, and career paths to, that will open up. You just need to be able to, you know, build good relationships with people that can help you get there and, and do everything you can to make yourself really valuable um, as you go. Mm-hmm. Be open to opportunities and invest in them when they come message I have also been receiving (laughs) as of late. Um, All right. So you do work in the athletics world. Um, What issues do you see your, you know, players or students facing that as a society, we as parents um, need to address to better support them as individuals? 
I think in in a possible unique but probably not unique environment in in Toronto. Um, so I think I mean it's probably clear enough that I work at the University of Toronto by now. Um, <laughs> I don't know if we were I mean, trying I wasn't to hide gonna that, say but, it, but if you've outed yourself, <laughs> I mean they know my name and apparently all of my education, so they could also find my LinkedIn profile easily enough. I'm sure. Do you um, have a LinkedIn profile? We've I been do, married yes. for multiple years, and I didn't like. We don't even know you. <laughs> like, who is this? What you do had, you mean? You had to you... Google me for this interview. <laughs> um, so aye, I mean, I think, I think your your question was, you know, what what sort of uh, challenges or pressures do do the students face and do young people face? Mm-hmm. Um, I think what what comes through very clearly in in the environment that I'm in is there is a massive weight of expectation on mm. on the average student nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I work at a very prestigious university. It's a top five university in the world where students go because they expect world-class education. And then the outcome of that is, is parents and society expects world-class results from all of the students that get that world-class education. And I think what I see is a lot of burnt out students. It's a lot of mm-hmm. stressed out students. It's a lot of students that are struggling to to pay rent because they can't afford a job because they have to get good grades. Mm-hmm. And and so this sort of cycle of need money, but need an education, but mm-hmm. need to eat, but need to do something to relieve stress. Mm-hmm. And, and you can only pick two of those things and do them really well. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, that's what we see a lot of. And, and so if there was a way to, help alleviate some of those challenges and create better people coming out of those experiences. It's to understand that those expectations are massive and that a lot of students get buried under the weight of those expectations. Um, We see a lot of students start to struggle. You know, they start to stop showing up to games. They start to to struggle academically. They, They start to lose eligibility for things because they just, they can't keep up with everything that they need to be doing. Um, a lot of times getting to the university is where the parents say, okay, I've done my job. Now you're in there. Right. Now you're kind of on your own. I don't have anything left to give you, but I still expect you to take the gift that I've given you of got you to school kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And and now you have to do something really good with it. Right. I will say that that's <laughs> in a connected, but kind of far away. Um, I, that's one of the things in your like parenting style that I really admire is like, you are really there for your kids in terms of like instruction and stuff, but you don't hold a massive expectation for them, which I think is funny because if I may say so, I think you hold a really big expectation for yourself. And like, you know, you're very disciplined in like, in like your routines and what you need to do. And like, you hold a big weight of expectation for yourself, but you don't actually like push that onto your children, like not in sports, not in any of their activities, not in their school. Like you're just, good at like supporting them where they are and then and you know helping them through situations where they need you and as they ask you and never really pushing that massive like expectation on them whereas like I feel like I get as a parent more burdened by like you know oh my kid needs to be at this milestone already like let's go let's go let's go and Chris is just like no no like chill like you know they're fine they'll survive like how did you kind of come to that I didn't Being... to be quite honest <laughs> to be quite honest to He's hear like you, oh to, really to hear you say that is kind of surprising to me because I feel like I have huge expectations for our kids but oh. I think I think it's, but maybe the, maybe it's not expectations so much as I have huge hopes and dreams for them to achieve yeah, things yeah, yeah. and like and I you know, I'm, I'm glad that I don't sort of put 
outward pressure on them to start no. getting there or yeah. doing those things or, or what have you. But mm-hmm. you know, I think every time I try and instruct them on something or discipline them on something or, or help them through something, it's sort of like, I'm, I'm hoping this helps you get to wherever it is you're trying to go mm-hmm. or whatever it is you can achieve, because I, I want you to achieve everything you can achieve and all that sort of stuff. But, um, you know, I, I think I have huge hopes and dreams for them to, you know, get great educations and go yeah. do great things mm-hmm. and, and be great people and all this sort of stuff. So um, I think I'm, there's a difference between you having that, <laughs> that expectation and then feeling the weight of that yeah. expectation. Yeah. Cause like I can, I can easily see that with my own parents. Like they, you know, think I'm incredible and, inco- and can accomplish anything. But like, if I don't like it's okay and I'm still a hundred percent, you know, loved by them and it's all yeah. good. Mm-hmm. So not adding to their burden by like, putting your burden on them kind of. Yeah. I think that's interesting because I think a lot of people, you know, students specifically because of the environment that I work in, but a lot of students feel like they are failing if they Mm -hmm. aren't meeting those expectations. And so I I don't think I ever felt like I was failing at anything. Like I don't think Mm -hmm. I ever didn't achieve a goal and felt like my parents thought I had failed. I know. I mean, Virgo I also, vibes. Here we are. <laughs> I also didn't not meet the goal very often, so I, I didn't have yeah, that opportunity. Yeah, whatever. To <laughs> um, Listen here, chump. <laughs> so I, I mean, I, it's you see it a lot, though. I mean, it exists mm-hmm. in society, and so I think maybe we've all been, um, you know. Like, fortunate to not have felt that from our parents necessarily i mean at least cheyenne and i maybe Uh, (laughs) i think i might have been in a a special case (laughs) you know what your mom also shows me unconditional love so she yeah she's she's incredible she's listening right now so we're probably making her cry at work (laughs) hey patty you're awesome um so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's something that society really needs to to look at, you know, in whatever way that's possible to do, you know, from an individual perspective, maybe. Um, and just understand the weight of expectation that you put mm-hmm. on somebody. You know, if, yeah. if you look at somebody and say, you know, I expect you to do this, what does that do to that person? And how mm-hmm. do you react when they don't do that? And I think mm-hmm. even, I think Sab and I have this sort of interaction a bunch of times unconsciously or subconsciously yeah. where where she'll have an expectation for something. And if it doesn't happen, you know, either her her guilt or her feeling of disappointment comes through where I hope I didn't put that on her. But I think in some right. ways, maybe I did just by having the expectation of something getting done. Um, and so I think there's, that's something for, for me to be conscious of as well. Um, you know, not, not that there isn't unconditional love, obviously there is. Um, and, and I wouldn't want there to be guilt or feeling bad about not achieving a goal of some sort, but, um, but I think it does exist. I like that you said to take it down to like an individual level, like just start with yourself. I feel like with all things, we need to start with ourself, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And Good advice, spiritual Chris. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think from a societal level, how do you do that without individual people saying, okay, no, like I need to change my expectations. Right. And so get it snaps. You know, <laughs> 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 you know, and, and look at, I mean, you start to look at things like politics or leadership in, in the world and you know, how, how, what do you expect of your politician and what, you know, what are the expectations from a societal level for what our country is doing and, and what our you know province is doing and, and those kinds of things. Like you can't make those changes without people changing. Yeah. By the way, voting is end of September. <laughs> <laughs> 
make sure you're registered to vote. (laughs) This is not sponsored by the province of Ontario. (laughs) We actually get no sponsorship dollars whatsoever. But if Ontario wants to sponsor us, we might. No, I'm kidding. It's a no from us. No no political affiliation. Um, but some affiliation would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, guys, come on. Tide, Ikea. <laughs> Hit a girl up, you know? Um, do you think that there's a issue for... for um, I just lost the word. Maybe I shouldn't drink in podcasts. Um, <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> um, athletes. For, for athletes specifically, you know, when you've competed at such an exceptional level and you go on to not then play professionally, is there like a disconnect from your, like, I'm, this is just, I'm speaking from experience. Cause I kind of went through this in high school where I was doing competitive horseback riding and, you know, five, six, seven days a week, I was at the barn and I was eat, sleep, breathe training And then I went to university and I stopped writing and I had this, that's when my depression was the worst because I had just a complete disconnect from everything that I had invested myself in and my identity in and where I got my, my support and my like social connections and everything. Do you think there's like, (laughs) like a, an AA post athlete (laughs) group (laughs) that we need to make? (laughs) I, th- I mean, I think you, you speak to a pretty common experience. I mean, mm-hmm. you see lots of kids coming out of university or out of high school into university where not just their athletic participation changes, but, you know, their whole lifestyle changes. And so, right. you know, they, the first time away from home, first time away from mom and dad, first time living on their own, first time paying their own bills, expenses, et cetera. First time, you know, change in expectation around, you know, no one's going to call your mom when you don't come to class kind of thing. Um, so just a different level of responsibility and accountability. Um, and so I think there's lots going on there um, mm-hmm. in, in that sort of environment. And if you look at even professional sport or high level sport, uh, you see similar things happening where your whole life is geared towards sort of one thing mm-hmm. um, or developing a certain talent or skill and then not hitting that mark or not getting to the highest level and, and turning that into a career means that you have to refocus and re, you know, shift kind of where you're at. So mm-hmm. um, we definitely see that a fair bit. I, I work more in the intramural area rather than the high performance area. And so um, we don't necessarily interact with athletes that um, that are playing at the highest level, but we do end up getting a lot of athletes that tried out for the highest level and didn't, didn't get there. Um, so, I, so I think we do see that a fair bit. Mm-hmm. You know, is is there a, a sort of a group or some sort that we need to make? I mean, <laughs> Athletics I think, Anonymous. <laughs> I think there's lots yeah. of different supports available. For, you guys do need that. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I think we're we're maybe looking at different different things, but um, I think there's a lot of supports, especially in an educational environment, that that are mm-hmm. available to to students that are sort of struggling through different things like that. Um, mm-hmm. Like we have a specific person. At least on the varsity side, we have a specific person that's that's meant to help students with everything that's not academics. So, right. you know, if they're having a challenge with you know with food or with rent or with you know depression, anxiety, anything like that, that's that's not you know I need a tutor. Um, mm-hmm. Like we have resources available for um, for those students, and so uh, I think those resources exist. Um, are right. they widely used or widely known about? Probably not. Are they you know? 
is there a stigma around, oh, you needed to go get help? Definitely. Yes. Um, it takes vulnerability to ask for help. It's all connected, you guys. <laughs> I assumed that's where you were tracking with that. I um, wasn't, but it just happens, <laughs> you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we, we see a lot of, especially males, going through those sort of challenges and not accessing those resources. But mm -hmm. I think the fact that those resources exist the way they didn't mm -hmm. 10 years ago right. um, is already a step in the right direction systemically where mm -hmm. more and more students are, are being willing to, to do those kinds of things. Like our, um, that, that staff person has a couple of assistants, you know, now that, you know, we hired an extra one two years ago before the pandemic where there was one, now there was two. So it just sort of shows that a, there's a demand for it. There, you know, they needed more staff to help provide those services, which mm -hmm. means that more students were using them. I was going to say that's such a catch, like because the funding for that comes from people using it, but if people don't know about it, they're not going to use it, and then the people don't right. get the funding to. Yeah, I think society it's the, man. It's one of the things <laughs> that I appreciate about, appreciate about my workplace is that they are very progressive and very aware of those mm -hmm. types of societal challenges. Um, we we tend to do a lot of work in equity and diversity as well, um, and so so there's a lot of investment into how can we make things um, you know a more positive experience for. Mm -hmm. Right. any type of student right not just mm -hmm. the typical student athlete mm -hmm. that came out of high school and you know playing volleyball still um mm -hmm. you know i think i think it's a really it's a good place to be be open to opportunities you guys the messaging opportunities to open yourself up to explore spirituality and your career and your identity and to get help Ugh beautiful um all right we talk a lot on the podcast about relationships the importance and the difficulty of <laughs> what is your advice to women specifically on how to be a better partner in marriage or partnership like just in being more understanding or supportive as your journey of a man because our minds do be different <laughs> and sometimes bridging that disconnect can be different or difficult. Um, so what would be your advice? Be open to opportunities and be for, for communication and be vulnerable. Well, I mean, I think where, I think how I would answer this question is where do I, where do I feel frustration in, in sort of my relationship sometimes mm -hmm. um, is probably the easiest place to identify. Tell us. Is this so, free therapy or what? <laughs> it can be. <laughs> Patty, they're being mean to me. <laughs> no, um, I'm trying to help you. <laughs> no, I think, um, I think the easiest place to start there is to say, um, there's there's often emotional disconnects right especially for, for savannah and i um Amen. there, there mm -hmm. are often emotional disconnects and so to try and, and and kind of close the gap in terms of where we are emotionally in in any one particular situation is mm -hmm. often a pretty wide gap um and so i think what that creates is is frustration or resentment of you know there's an expectation for me to to get to a certain point emotionally and I can't get there in, in mm -hmm. that moment. And then there's the expectation of, of a response in some way 
that that I can't that I don't know how to give. Um, and so then I feel shitty about myself as a person because I can't get there because the expectation is, is that I can get there. Um, mm -hmm. So I think it's something that I'm working on and more and more aware of, you know, every time that we have an argument or a discussion about, um, you know, lack of emotional connectedness or, or things like that. Um, you know, I feel like I'm a little bit better at understanding what we're talking about, mm -hmm. but maybe not as, as, as far along as the expectation is. Right. Um, and so if there's advice there, then it's, you know, be patient. Yeah. <laughs> um, like if you're communicating an expectation to, to somebody who's male masculine energy that, that isn't as emotionally vulnerable or, or emotionally available, that doesn't mean that he's not trying to get there. That doesn't mean that he's right. not trying to understand. It's just that that's not something that, that he under that he knows very well. Mm -hmm. It's not mm -hmm. something that, that I, as a, as a male, as somebody who has been emotionally indifferent uh, for mm -hmm. a long time, it's not that I don't care about the emotional connectedness that we're trying to achieve. It's that right. I don't know how to be that or, mm -hmm. um, or to get there, especially in the moment of need where, when that right. emotional connectedness is needed the most, that's about the, the, the hardest time to, to get to that emotional connectedness that I need to get to, mm -hmm. you know, recognizing that, that there's, there is a com emotional connectedness that we need to, to get to, um, or that I as a male need to open myself up to, Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's, the, that's, I think the hardest part of our relationship, at least for me, right. um, is in those moments where, where I need to be more emotionally connected and I can't be, and I don't know how to be, and I'm trying to be, but I feel even it's harder to do it when I'm trying the hardest. Yeah. And that's not even your fault entirely. Like that's a societal driven, like issue. <laughs> yeah. My um, hardest part is when you put the recycling on the garage floor. It's really difficult for me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Very emotionally connected to the recycling. Um, I liked what you said about managing expectations, though, because I think that was one thing that I really um, had to learn in my relationship. And the thing that, honest, honest to God, you guys, I'm not just saying this, the thing that helped me the most was astrology, honestly, because looking at Eric's astrology helped me understand who he fundamentally is as a person or how he, his brain and his, you know, soul might operate. And so then I can manage my expectations to be like, he's just not going to get to this place, you know, and that's okay because that's his journey. Mm -hmm. And that also helped me in so many other relationships because like, I can think about my relationship with my father too. And just understanding that like, you know, everyone's on their own journey and you just have to like manage your expectations that, and <laughs> it's all connected. This goes back to like <laughs> the, the expectation on your kids too. Like you yeah. can't, you just can't put your expectations for people on them. Right. You have to give them space to do their own thing. And I think and, a big part of managing expectation too, is that like not everyone will fill every spot for you and mm -hmm. you can't have one person fill every spot for you. So even if you have that expectation, especially in like a marriage, I can't expect him to fill all the parts of me. So it doesn't make right. sense for me to have that expectation of him in a relationship. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. feel like that's something that everybody commonly trips on. Mm -hmm. And I, th I think it's important to also clarify, like I appreciate being, you know, the, the conversations that we have about it. And, mm -hmm. and I think, 
being pushed or, or being sort of encouraged to to keep working on those things, um, you know, is important. And and having an expectation of growth is is a perfectly healthy piece, mm-hmm. especially in a marriage. Right. I, I, I don't mean for that to sound like oh, lower your expectations and then then no, he doesn't have yeah. to do anything. It's it's sort mm-hmm. of you know, there's a growth, right? There's you know, yeah. as we grow in relation and as we grow as people you know, that will continue to develop and continue to evolve as, as we get older, um, as we approach our thirties and fifties. Okay. Slow your freaking (laughs) roll here, man. The only person in their thirties is you. (laughs) Um, it's factually incorrect. (laughs) Okay. Well in this room, it's factually correct. Thank you Virgo Chris for showing up again. That was cute. (laughs) Um, all right, last question. Uh, you wear a lot of hats, a lot of roles. I thought um, you meant actual you... hats. I was like, you're not wrong. <laughs> a lot of a lot of sweaty hats. Um, oh, you've sweaty. also surpassed the thirty mark. Um, how do you stay in touch with who you are, um, separate from Chris, the father, the husband, the employee, the mentor, um, but Chris, the human? And maybe this is a concept that you haven't really explored or you've lost touch with along the way. Um, but what keeps you grounded and in tune with yourself or how you might do it in the future? Uh, I think that's probably a good reflective question. (laughs) Um, I think it's hard to identify for me who exactly I am without those pieces like sort of stripped down uh, because I, who I am as a person is, is, you know, athletic. I, I love sports. I love video games. I love, you know, socializing with, with friends doing, you know, fun activities, like those kinds of things as a person. Um, and I think I, I, try to incorporate those things into my day-to-day life as, as a father, as a mentor, as a friend, as a, you know, husband. So, um, you know, I, I still, I still game pretty consistently. I still like, I work in sports, so I'm around sport and I, I, you know, I think the job that I have, the career that I've cultivated has allowed me to stay connected to, you know, who I am and what, what I'm passionate about. Um, you know, I, I kind of picked sport as my career because it was what I was most passionate about in high school. And I'm, I'm still passionate about what I do and, and being around sport and delivering sport to, to other people. Right. So, um, you know, I still kind of the core group of friends that, that I had, you know, if you look at the people that were at my wedding and standing up there with me, I still, I still talk to and connect with every single one of those people on a, on a daily, if not, you know, weekly, if not daily basis. Um, so it's, I think I've been able to, maintain sort of who I am and, and what's important to me through growing my career, through growing my marriage, through growing through my family. all the avenues. Growing your marriage. So, Who's joining us? <laughs> it's me, bitches. No. <laughs> it could only be you. Is Eric coming? <laughs> he would uh, have no patience <laughs> for us. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I think it's, it's hard to say I'm still the person that I was, but I don't think mm-hmm. I want to be either. I mean, right. I, I'm still, I think the core components of who I was, you know, in my youth and, you know, before I became a father and a husband and, you know, et cetera. Um, I think the core elements of, of that person are still there and have just grown and matured as, as I've added pieces to my life that. Um, That's true. 
Like I think I, I'd like to say I'm a pretty consistent or stable person. Very. I don't, I don't <laughs> fluctuate too much. I mean, nothing really. Earth vibes. What? <laughs> My volatile self was like, please hold me. <laughs> no, actually, she Anchor says that all the time. Down. <laughs> Literally all the time. I'm like, can you just put some weight on my chest? <laughs> like... <laughs> Yeah, that's me. All right. Um, do you have any questions for us? Because, you know, at the end of our episodes, guests usually ask us questions. Right. I mean, not really. Um, I wasn't sure what to expect out of this, this session <laughs> since you didn't allow me to prepare. Oh, my gosh. Not that I the feel salt. badly about that. Uh, it's, you know, I just thought it was a little sunny. You needed some shade. <laughs> Teaches him one slang word. <laughs> Well, I have enjoyed our conversation, getting to know you better. I mean, I thought I knew you pretty well, but this <laughs> was a wonderful conversation. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm happy to share my my insights and you know, I always enjoy a good conversation. <laughs> your, uh, your elderly wisdom. I don't know if I necessarily shared any elderly wisdom. But... <laughs> As a stable, successful human being, thank you for your contribution to the podcast <laughs> we and <need> this. society. <laughs> Vote for Pedro. <laughs> Is he running this election no. season? Because <laughs> I would. That's it for this week's episode. Tune in next week when we will chat about Something. Something. <laughs> Again, you know how it goes. <laughs> but until next time, remember that we, we love, love you. you. That was a good one, Chris. <laughs> I was prompted. <laughs>